Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, first question in this Penn State football world. Anything going on this week? <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not trying to deal with a, a, a loss to a top opponent, which was, and I don't use this word lightly, kind of embarrassing for Penn State. Uh, nationally, personally, in the locker room, that was a bad, bad loss. And then, of course, the fallout, everything else coming out after that. So, yeah, uh, it's been a great time to sleep and uh, have have time to do other things <laughs> in the midst of everything else that's going on. T. Frank, before we get started, you and I were just chatting for a minute, and I was asking you about it being a surprise, and you talked about the timing surprising you a bit. James Franklin is so into the process and doing this mid-season or late in the season even was unusual. However, I think he gave us a bit of a hint of why in his press conference with the very first question where someone asked him about the post his post-game comment about not providing enough easy passes for the quarterback. Right. And the question essentially was, well, you're the head coach. Can't you just say provide those easy passes? And here was just part of his response, and I'm looking off because I want to read this correctly. He said, a lot of times when we got to the games, either we did not call the games that way or we didn't execute the games the way we intended them to. Yes, those things were asked for. It's Yeah. James at least makes it sound like there was really a difference of opinion between he and Mike Yursich and how these games should be called. Yeah, so firing your offensive coordinator with two games left and being a man down in all of those facets, they they might be able to... I think James Franklin said they can elevate a, a somebody. I don't know if they can elevate an analyst to a, a position or something like that. But um, just generally, that is a... Uh, something that he would not normally do. I followed up later because I wanted to know, like the, the, he talked about the game day, the game, the calling of the game, um, but the game plan specifically, how did that get formed? What, you know, um, was the plan also a problem? Because that's another big thing coming into this game, coming into these games, it felt like they didn't have a great plan that uh, attacked the other team a lot of the time. So what, what's the what was the process like in formulating the offensive game plan and he said you know he kind of he gave a very short answer but the answer was yes like the whole process needed to change and so Jay Wan Sider and Ty Howell are now tasked with creating a better game plan so uh that's where I guess I, I, the jumping off to the kind of looking forward point is does the offense improve and does it seem less stuck in the mud if James Franklin is saying hey I'm asking for these things and we're not getting them. And the the way of formulating the plan, we didn't like that. So going forward, do, do we see a noticeable improvement in the efficiency of the offense and all the things that I think fans want to see and James Franklin wanted to see in the offense? Okay. In this uh, 
show, I want to dissect the offense and what was going on and why. But let's start right there with James James Franklin's request for more easy passes for Drew Aller, which, by the way, I agree with that. But my question to you is, what exactly does that mean? How could they provide more easy passes for him? So, first off, Jim, you're going to love this, throwing on first down. Uh, you've talked wow. about this before. Yeah. Uh, here's, but here's, it's not just throwing on first down. It's throwing when you don't have to be perfect. I, uh, T Frank's film room over at blue, white, illustrated.com. I talked about this, uh, in, in the film room and it kind of set up it from the first half to the second half where that game against Michigan, there were problems brewing despite the fact that Penn State was moving the football and they were in the football game. Uh, 36% of Drew Aller's passes came on either third down or fourth down. So the majority of his throws are coming when he has to either complete the pass or the offense is off the field. That's not great. That's not a great position to put uh, confidence and ease in the mind of your quarterback. So that's one of the things talking about what James Franklin uh, wanted, more easy passes where it's like, you don't have to be perfect. If it's incomplete, it's second and 10. You don't want to get behind the sticks, which is kind of the whole thing, right? So that there's dueling concepts here. And that's why I have been a little bit brain foggy about all of this stuff, because James Franklin is the ultimate front man for the plan, right? He's going to tell you what they want, how they want to execute it. And he's going to say, this is a good, this is a good plan for us. We need to stay on schedule. We need to be efficient. We need to stay ahead of the sticks. And for Mike Yersich, clearly that meant running the football. So you cannot get behind the sticks. You cannot have an incompletion. But you need to hashtag establish the pass so that the quarterback is not in a position where he feels the, the game pressure to be perfect. On top of that, specifically against Michigan, bad pressure up the middle, lots of pressure early, put the quarterback uh, on the defensive. And he stayed that way for the rest of the game. And they couldn't. They couldn't pull him out of that. They couldn't put him in a situation to throw some easy passes to get his confidence. So that's part of that conversation. Um, and then it, it just it kind of spirals from there of, you know, this particular game versus other games they've played and the situations and what they were able to do offensively. There was never really a cohesive point to this offense. It was a collection of plays and ideas that sometimes worked based on what the defense gave you. And kind of felt reactionary for a lot of the the season, you know, reacting to what the defense is doing instead of having a plan of attack. And you made reference to my one of my pet peeves, which is throwing the ball on first down. And it's not so much just that you're throwing it on first down. It's you're throwing it when they're not necessarily expecting it. As you pointed out, third and ten. Yeah, they're probably expecting a pass. And not only are they expecting a pass they realize it has to be completed and it has to be completed or at least after the catch beyond 10 yards. So the defense is uh, at a distinct advantage. Let's talk about some of the other position groups and we'll get back to quarterback T Frank, but I want to hit some of the position groups and what they are doing and are they helping the offense or not? One of the things that we keep hearing over and over again is about the wide receivers not getting separation. And I always have the question, if the wide receivers aren't capable of getting separation on their own, can the offense scheme them open? 
<laughs> well, what do you think a flea flicker is? What do you think a wide receiver passes? That that's that's the biggest problem. Is the plan of attack to get the receivers open was not to create conflict for the defense and put players in in positions outside of I think traditional you know, maybe high, low in a zone read for the quarterback to throw the ball into the wherever the the defender isn't sort of situations. There weren't schemed up plays to take advantage of the defensive rules. It was, we need to get a receiver open, so let's do a trick play. And just going back to the Michigan game, because I just, I have that in my brain locked in. The one thing you knew about this Michigan secondary based on the way they played and everything on film was even against tough opponents, which they didn't have many, they were frosty. They always were locked in on their assignment. They did not make mental busts. So if you're expecting a, a, a halfback toss back, you know, the, the flea flicker to work, you are going, you're, you're. I don't want to say you you're you're saying you didn't watch the film because they did, but you're not acknowledging what you saw. You're hoping. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is like with the receiver group, they they were kind of hoping that they could just trick players into getting open. Um and that and that's very frustrating. That's a very frustrating way to to run your offense. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Let's talk about the receivers specifically in this last game. Did Dante Cephas take a step from that Maryland game where everything worked for him? It seems like when things are complex, this offense fails. And when teams are running zones or running uh, one look and then showing another post snap, nobody's on the same page. The receivers were not locked in against Michigan. There's multiple examples if you go through the film. The first third down, it's a full second before Keandre Lambert-Smith moves off the line of scrimmage. He's the primary target, and he's standing there. He's he's looking at the football. There's no reason a, re a receiver should ever be laid off the snap. And by the time he gets into his route playing patty cake with a defensive back, the ball is about to hit him in the helmet. Dante Cephas on a couple of routes, not running a route because he's on the backside of the play, and then the obvious times that he doesn't know where he's supposed to be. So did these are these guys locked in? Are they playing to the level of their ability or are they playing to the level of their focus and their focus goes in and out each week. So this, this, this offense does not have, even we talk about the number one receivers, the guys that are locked in, they are not consistent football players. And then you lose Trey Wallace and suddenly you're relying on guys that are being, that are wildly inconsistent. So drew Aller from a support structure of making sure the quarterback is confident. The offensive line isn't blocking well to start the game. And early on, first drive of the game, he has an indication that his receivers aren't locked in either. So the lack of trust in the offense and everything around him, I don't blame him for it. You want to see your quarterback be more mentally resilient than he was in that game because he was not mentally resilient despite all those things. It took until, you know, the bleep hit the fan when you're down two scores and then he started to just, you know, fine, I'm going to do it on my own, basically, and start ripping the ball into tight windows and had some really good throws that resulted in incompletions because that's how that day was going. So it, it's, you know, it's on a player level, but also the players are not getting um, easy looks and easy designs from the offense. When you say things to me like uh, Cephas not running perhaps the right route, Lambert Smith slow getting off the uh, the snap. At what point is that not still coaching? If there's yeah. not discipline yeah. and the players doing what they're supposed to be doing, T. Frank, 
Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting because you watch I watch them coach these guys on Wednesdays. It's a small window into into practice, right? And some of the situations that come up routinely in the game, I see the implication of what they're doing in practice and how it's supposed to be applied on film. So some of this stuff, it's not like there isn't evidence that they're being coached. It's just not being received. So then you have to have the hard decision of do the, does somebody need to not be on the football field? And and then you go to who do you trust to put on there in in replacement of that? But absolutely, this offense is inconsistent. The the blocking, as good as the offensive line has been at times this year, and there were moments in this game where they were good, it's wildly inconsistent. The entire offense, the nature of it, the the real personality of Penn State's offense is inconsistency. And that, yeah, that goes back to coaching and and the guy who's responsible, the CEO of the offense, he took responsibility for that by losing his job on Sunday. Very good, T. Frank. That's going to be it for quarter one. But as you might expect, there's still a lot more questions to ask. And who better to give us those answers than T. Frank? Stay tuned for more. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number two. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking all things Penn State football, not just the Michigan game. Not just letting go of the offensive coordinator, but everything that happened to kind of lead up to this. And T. Frank, I was asking you about uh, a play in the Michigan game where Penn State was inside the Michigan five and they ran the fade pass to Dante Cephas. My yeah. my gut reaction, initial reaction to it is they did a this work the week before against Maryland, so. It's certainly going to work yeah. again, right? And you, you <laughs> you're, had you're picking more the wrong on play. That. Yeah, you're picking the wrong play. The, the one that I had that feeling about was the "Hey, look at Nick" play, where he runs the jet sweep, and everyone's supposed to follow him. And again, like I said in the first segment, Michigan doesn't bust coverage. 
they're not going to make mental mistakes. You're not forcing them to cover that guy because they've seen it on film. And, it, you know, you've got to have a you've got to have a better plan than the thing that we did against Indiana. The, the play you're referencing, it's not going to make you feel better that I think Nick Singleton, if he had the ball on that play, would have scored a walk in touchdown. <laughs> but it's an RPO. So it's the quarterback's decision on that play, whether or not to give the ball to the running back or to pull the ball and throw. And based on the field position and the alignment of the defense, it was a one on one. And yeah, it had worked previously. Aller in a rare moment of like, I'm going to be the quarterback throws the ball into that window and tries to get the touchdown there. And it was a fine throw actually. Like it just, that's a low percentage throw. They almost got it. He almost secured the pass. Almost doesn't matter here on Wednesday after you fired your offensive coordinator and you didn't score a touchdown there, which led to a whole cascade of issues, not getting points early that then you have to chase points late, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it does speak to the nature, I think, sometimes of the problem in this offense, which is it can be reactionary instead of um, choosing to dictate the terms to the defense. Well, in that, and I want to bring up an example, and this is what gets frustrating as a fan. And I thought the defense, Penn State's defense, played really well. I really do. There were a couple Mm -hmm. breakdowns on third and long. And it was, interestingly enough, Penn State always wants to get you into that third and long, and they could run their seven-man front. It's been successful. It's And Michigan ended up running the ball multiple times when they faced that, and they converted on third down. That, to me, seemed like that was the Michigan coaching staff out-coaching the Penn State coaching staff because they knew what was coming from Penn State. It doesn't feel like we ever say that about the Penn State offense. Look, here they took advantage of the defense because they scouted them and knew what was coming. So there is, it's, it's hard to know a couple of things here, right? The first thing is the play calls not called. And James Franklin is saying now that there's, there was a different plan than what we got with the execution of the plan on Saturday. And, you know, when I asked him the process of the plan versus the execution, he said, yes, all of it. But he really leaned into especially, like, especially the execution of it was not up to our standards. Um, so here's an example of something I can give you of how that process might be of what he's talking about. There's a play that's called at the line of scrimmage. And then you look at the defense based on your formation and the alignment of everybody on the field, plus what you have called and what you see pre-snap from the defense, the coverage shell, the front, etc. So then there's the check with me on the sideline, which comes down from the play caller who says, okay, based on that, we're going to run this play. And if you want to know why they ran on first down every single play, Jim, I'm going to lean in here to the camera. <laughs> it's because Michigan told them to. Michigan in a game where they play three, they they play generally cover three so far this season. They started with a two high coverage shell, meaning there's a light box. There's only six players in the box and that screams run the football. And again, going back to what are, what is this offense tasked with efficiency? Don't you dare lose it for the defense. Stay on schedule. Make sure that you convert on third down, make it third and manageable so you can run or pass in those situations. So a first down run for five yards is a win for the offense. And Penn State got high on their own supply of five yard first down runs because they hashtag didn't establish the pass. They didn't get the quarterback in rhythm to give him some of that love of, hey, here's a feel good play for five yards, making you feel like you're part of the offense. So Michigan very much 
goaded Penn State into running the football all the time, taking five yards, and delaying the possibility of getting your passing game going. And that is a very, that that right there is in a certain way being outcoached. Penn State did this to Ohio State in 2022. They had an explosive offense, Marvin Harrison Jr., and they just gave Ohio State a lot of good running looks. That year, Ohio State wanted to hashtag establish the run, which is a myth. Um, but they wanted to be better at running the football. So Penn State gave them two high looks and then flooded the box after the snap, uh, expecting the run, and then only late in the game did, did Ohio State have any success running the football. Penn State had success running into good looks and bad looks on first down, but it was kind of fool's gold. And that's an area of, we want to get the quarterback involved, but we're going to take the priority of everything else to give the offense, you know, to not not establish balance in the offense. So it's interesting that the way you phrase that, that Michigan was dictating this. They were goading. They said, I'm going to give you a look and force you to run the ball on first down. On the surface, T. Frank, if they're goading you into that and you are getting five yards on first down running the ball and consistently doing that, is there a problem with that? Should there be a problem with that? Second and five doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, and that's that's on the surface level. Like when I'm going through the first half and I'm and I'm looking at the film, I'm saying, this is fine. There's some good plays where even, it's, again, I say it on the film room, it's not sexy to be defending Mike Yersich right now, but there's some plays that are touchdowns or that are explosive plays that the offensive line doesn't consistently block for the passing play or the run play. One key block goes wrong and the play is blown up. Um, but the concept and the idea there was good. It then becomes, you know, what happens on second and third down and how do you respond in those situations? And Penn State and Mike Yersich apparently were fixated on staying on schedule. And, you know, when it comes to the passing game, this is another part of the stuff that I don't really know how to express. And I've been frustrated and trying to like work it out in my mind. And I've been talking my wife's ear off about like, what is the thing that's wrong with this offense? And the part that I think it is, there is no link between the, the standard passing game and the run game. So the run game has option augmentations on it where the quarterback can keep the ball and throw it. He can throw the RPO, but there's not, there's no cohesion between what the passing game does and what the running game does to put players in conflict based on what you've already called. There's no sequencing of plays this year. It's a collection of ideas. The only thing that I know based on what I've seen is Mike Yersich wanted to get back to what he was, which was a zone running offense, but there are no passing plays based off of that, that I can think of off the top of my head or games where he's called plays Based off of that, the, the the passing game has succeeded or failed based on do we know what's coming and is it man coverage? You know, the Maryland game, they knew what was coming. They got cover zero. They beat it. Drew Aller has been good the last couple of weeks at beating cover zero. But when it comes to everything else in the passing game, if they it, cover four is not that hard to beat. It's not easy to throw deep into, but there are ways to defeat every zone coverage. And it felt like Penn State went to the same well too often and teams predicted that, and there was nothing to play off of what they had already been doing in the passing game. The passing game was static, and it didn't evolve. It didn't turn into something that you could feel like it was, you know, schematically dangerous. Like you said, scheming guys open. There was there was some of that, but at the same time, 
it just it didn't fit within the confines of making it easy. They were hard throws. If they if you're able to get them, they're explosive plays, but they're hard throws to make. And there wasn't a lot of stuff in the offense that was just against the zone. Find this soft spot in the zone, sticks route, throat completion, first down. And again, like I am starting to climb the ladder of way outside my comfort zone of things that should be called. And that's how this pro- this this process always goes. But like I'm trying to come up with a good answer for what should have been because obviously what what did happen and what we did see was frustratingly inept as a casual fan i'll call myself and that's in comparison to you you do the film study in a way that i never have or never probably will or would never even understand it but as a fan watching some of this t frank i feel like things are so predictable another one of jim's pet peeves You're running a read option where the option is quarterback, I either hand it off to the running back or I potentially keep it myself or I could also pass off of that. How many times has Drew Aller actually exercised the option where he could pull the ball out and run it? So if you see that play coming on defense, he's giving it to the running back. He's not keeping it himself. So the whole concept, I think, doesn't work. The other one that I saw in the Michigan game was, I believe it's on third and short. They successfully ran a quarterback draw. And the mm-hmm. next time I see the same formation, empty backfield, I'm in the press box going, yeah. boy, that looks like quarterback draw to me. And they motion in the tight end and everyone saw it coming. The, the funny thing is, Jim, is that the second one actually worked. <laughs> he, he walked for a first down. But then he fumbled the football, um, and, and that's that's kind of the there bad another luck, play but also kind it, of the nature of this team. There was another one where it was unsuccessful because I know I was looking for it, and and it got blown up. T. Frank, so, but that's what I'm talking about. Feeling it's predictable, and I don't feel it's like they're they're running too much or throwing too much, but it's just they're predictable at what they're doing. Yeah, and that that kind of goes back to, and this is where I have a hard time of knowing where. Mike Yersich is ultimately responsible for this, right? For all of the problems that are on the offense from the position coaches upward. Um, but it's not just on him. Uh, you know, the, the, the players across the board are not consistent at their job. Is that because they're not clear on what they're supposed to be doing? If that's the case and they're running the same plays, that's a problem. Like that's a problem in communication and teaching for sure. Um, but when it comes back to, you know, Run, James Franklin talked about uh, in the setup of this game, um, referencing the Iowa game and his learning moment for the offense was don't go away from the good plays that are working. Make sure that you you make them beat you before you move on to, to a new concept. So if you're running the same plays over and over and over again, and the coach has said previously, we want to run the good plays until they stop them. Is that a is that an edict from James Franklin and Mike Yersich is 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 executing that? Like here's this is where I get like this is the hard part for me is who's who's making those decisions? Who who is that part on? And and I don't I don't have a good answer. I don't have an answer at all for you on that because that's the point. We don't know. All right, T Frank, that's it for quarter two. Quarter three, we got your questions. We're gonna ask T Frank. 
Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions for T. Frank. He gives us incredible answers. And at the end of the segment, we'll pick out the best question. Actually, it's T. Frank who picks it out. And they will win a prize pack from the 409tailgateclub.com, the place to go for all your barbecue rubs and sauces and even Bloody Mary mix. Go to 409tailgateclub.com. And if you want to ask a question for T. Frank, very simple. Just download our app. Keystone Sports, there's a button there where you can either ask T. Frank or ask Andy a question. All right, T. Frank, first question comes from Mike from Harrisburg who said, players are paid now, so I think automatically blaming the coach should be a thing of the past. Okay, fine. Uh But (laughs) here's this question. Mike says, if you had to pick between the Penn State players and the Michigan players, with any fantasy coaching team assigned for the season, who would you pick? Let's put it this way. I think he's asking talent-wise, pure talent-wise. Yeah. You pick Michigan's yeah. roster or Penn State's roster? Uh, if I could do a fantasy draft and do a snake draft and pick from both squads, I would do that because they're flawed. Um, let's not get this twisted. The reason Michigan played the way they did on Saturdays because they could not block chop Robinson in the passing game. It was a disaster. So they decided if you have to bring seven offensive linemen on the field to run the football, that is not a decision you're making because you have an advantage. If, if Michigan was the Michigan we were talking about last year, the year before they'd be running the football with five offensive linemen and gashing Penn state, Penn state was playing really well against the run. So offensive line wise, like other than the positions they were put in, the, the offensive line, they, they deferred putting their right tackle into any passing situations. They were able to do that because the Penn State offense was so incompetent. 
Um, you can't run the ball 30 times in the second half and win if the opposing uh, offense has the ability to score points. So I'm taking the Penn State defense. I'm taking most of the Penn State offensive line. I'd probably take the Michigan wide receivers, even though I don't think that their Roman Wilson is individually great. Um, and the running backs, I think, are comparable. Uh, so it's not it's not a dominant Michigan is a better team on paper. It is not dominant that that uh, that Michigan is a better, um, more elite team. Penn State's offense is sick, and they they need to find a way to fix it. So I I think based on the results, I would take the Michigan. No, I'm going to take the Penn State offense. I'm just going to say it like there. If the receivers and everything was more cohesive and coherent, they have the talent to be better than they are, but they're not, um, and that's the problem. T. Frank. You talked about the players and which group you would take. You know what I heard? This hmm. Penn State coaching staff was completely outcoached. That's what I'm hearing you say. You didn't use those words, but that's what I'm hearing you say. That's fair. Yeah, and they fired one of them. So I guess, yeah, that's, that is, there's more evidence that that is the fact. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's go to Steve in Colorado Springs, Colorado, who says, T. Frank and Jim, love your analysis. Thank you, Steve. I'm getting sick and tired of all the Franklin bashing out there simply because he struggles against Michigan and Ohio State. I'm going to short circuit his whole analysis where he goes through it and essentially says most of the time Penn State has been the underdog against those groups. So he's saying his conclusion is this tells me Franklin's doing what he's expected to do, but not much more. What am I missing? Right. Why is everyone so critical of him for not having more upset wins? Um, because he is genuinely if so this year is the problem. This is the year I've gotten on the bandwagon of this is a this is a Penn State problem because in previous years they have been with a clear disadvantage in certain critical situations. You go back to the Ohio state defense last year in 2022 and Penn state does not have a depth tackle to step in for an injured Caden Wallace. And suddenly one guy can dominate the game. JT Tula can dominate the game and Penn state has a hard time. They're scheming around that they're scheming around a talent hole. They don't have an offensive line in 2021. <laughs> you know, they don't have the talent there. So the recruiting is hurting the implementation of the plan. Going back to some of the other things with Mike Yersich is like, I don't know if we ever saw what his plan of attack was because what his plan previously was was very different than what he saw here at Penn State. We saw part of the vertical passing game and the screen game in 21. We saw part of the run game in 23 and that kind of met in the middle in 22, but we never saw like a cohesive offense from him through any point, I feel like, in his time at Penn State. Um, so this year, this year, Penn State had what I just said in Mike's question. Penn State had comparable talent to Michigan. And, you know, like that's going to it's it's always frustrating. Like you're going to be called a homer for saying that because I cover Penn State and I uh, do this job covering one team. And I'm saying that even though they lost, they were the better. They were the more talented team. And I think generally just from a assessment of the strengths and weaknesses of both squads, I think that's true. So Penn State had the ability to win these games. Go back to the the game against um, Ohio State. The defense played well enough to win. The offense 
played so poorly that they took Kyle McCord and they gave him enough chances to throw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. and put the defense out there in a position to fail routinely. But Penn State's offensive talent is better. The offensive line, the running game with a cohesive plan could set up the passing game better than it did. We were talking about this in the break and I was trying to find like, it feels like play action was severely underutilized in this offense. And part of it is the play action passing was seven people blocking two people running routes and then check the ball down if you don't get that. And that's not, that needed to evolve. The same play that they ran that should have been a touchdown, admittedly against Michigan, is the same play that they ran the first passing play of the year against West Virginia. There was no playing off of that. There's no augmentation. There's no cohesive development. So Penn State's players were good enough, but the offense wasn't good enough despite that. Again, I'll reiterate, T. Frank, I don't think that's an indication that you're a homer. My interpretation of what you're saying is the coaches didn't do the job. It, it's pretty simple. And to also answer uh, it with Steve, the even if you statistical analysis, if you're only supposed to have a 33% chance of winning, but you play that team 10 times and you win only once, that's still a disappointment even if you were the underdog in every game. You should have yeah. won at least yeah, a yeah. handful of those games. And that hasn't yeah. happened. And as you put it, T. Frank, this is the first year that I think we all felt it was at least comparable talent. And you had to at least win one of those two games. And they didn't. Let's go to yeah. Vic and Lansdale. And this was the question I re referenced earlier. Vic says, T. Frank, I hear different fans saying they need to run the ball more. Others saying, mm -hmm. let Aller throw the ball more. Obviously, they can't be both be right, but what yeah. is it we're seeing? Is it the sequence? Is it when they call those uh, the different options, run versus passing the ball? Help us out here. <laughs> yeah, this is the part where I, I kind of shrug my shoulders and say, uh, in the postgame show, BWI Live postgame show, I said, obviously, this plan was bad. You set your quarterback up where... I want to say half of his his attempts were in the third and fourth quarter when you were down a score and then two scores. You uh, make him throw most of his passes on third and fourth down. That is not setting your players up for success. So the sequencing of the plays in that perspective is the problem. What are they supposed to do? I'm going to go make mac and cheese because I'm not an offensive coordinator. <laughs> like I Fundamentally, like how are they supposed to do it? I can give you some ideas and I've tried to kind of word salad my way through this over the last couple of days, but I don't know. Like, you know, that's where T Frank's powers. That's the end of the road for me. Like I do try by the way to understand these things and, and, you know, learn in the off season and get deeper into this stuff. But you know, that's, that's the deepest part where you're game planning and creating these options and creating these passing concepts and putting them into effect. That is, that is straight up offensive coordinating. So that's, a, that's a level to get to. I'll say that the sequencing of the plays and just repeating what James Franklin said, getting your quarterback in a flow and a confidence has not been anything they've been able to do this year. But one thing we do have to acknowledge in all of this stuff, going back to Penn state has the talent, the receivers have proven this year. They are not up to snuff. They are not uh, good enough. They, they don't have a number one receiver. They don't have a number two receiver because he's injured. And the number three receiver we knew coming in, they didn't have. And they haven't been able to utilize their tight ends effectively in the passing game to make them a consistent threat where you're leaning on those guys. 
that's, I think, if we want to point to one thing this year is they haven't been able to work around not having, uh, you know, using the tight ends as well as they possibly can to make you wrong no matter what with their 12 personnel. And part of that is the tight ends. Part of that is the scheming. Part of that is the receivers not taking any heat off anybody. T. Frank, you mentioned the play action pass as part of this, that you're not an offensive coordinator. What I will say, and I think you're right, is play action pass is saying, I believe the defense is looking for us to run the ball, and I'm going to fool mm-hmm. them by throwing the ball. And yeah. that's coaching to pick and choose when you see that. All right, let's so can go. I, can I just, yeah. real quick on that point, uh, and then we'll get to the next question. I guess the point of the play action is they used it to take deep shots, and Aller's average depth of target was the lowest among Big Ten starting quarterbacks. So they didn't use play action to suck the linebackers into the line of scrimmage and then throw over their heads, which a lot of teams do. They didn't use it as an intermediate, effective passing attack. They tried to use it for shot plays. And again, they didn't evolve it. That wasn't working all year. It worked a couple of times. They needed to formulate a different plan of how to use play action, and it didn't work. Okay, let's sneak in. Andrew from San Marcos, California, said, is it better to be a head coach at a Mac school, let's say Akron, or a coordinator at a high-profile high profile program? Let's say Penn State. I'm guessing that a Penn State coordinator is paid more. I don't know who he's talking about. What is the what is the what is the value of your autonomy? What is the value of your ability to dictate things and be your own man and be your own leader? It's not just about the money. Uh, Joe Moorhead is not a guy that, uh, you know, having met him, having (laughs) been around him. I don't think money's the issue. He's he wanted to be a head coach and he's a head coach at Akron. He was a head coach at Mississippi State. I, I, I don't know if. you know, that comes down to, does he want to chase success at the highest level more than he wants to determine his own future by being a head coach, by being the leader, the man in charge and wanting to do things his way? Uh, he's got enough money that I don't think money is going to be the determining factor. It's going to be what he wants out of his career. All right. That is it for quarter three. Stick around. Quarter four. We're going to name our winner. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. 
truststatecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We just wrapped up Ask T. Frank. All that's left to do with that, T. Frank, is name a winner. Who's it going to be? Yeah, that uh, we're going to go to uh, Vic and Lansdale, I think, is who yes. we're going with. Um, that uh, th- th- We're going to go with Vic this week, for sure. He kind of summed things up, uh, some, summed up things in talking about the fan reaction, and it's like, is it running? Yeah. Is it passing? Do more of this, more of that. I think that shows the confusing nature of what's going on with this offense. And let's stay down that offensive side path and what's going on. We talked a lot about the passing game. T. Frank, I want to ask you a bit about the running game and some really, yeah. here's a disconcerting statistic. Looking at yards per carry for each of Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. Interestingly enough, for Catron Allen, he went from 5.2 yards a carry in 22. This year, he's at 4.9 yards per carry. Not a huge mm-hmm. difference. Nick Singleton went from 6.8 yards a carry to 3.9 yards a carry this year. What yeah. is going on? With that, is it the offensive line? Is it Nick Singleton? Is it the play calling? There's, there's got to uh, be it's some explosive explanation. Runs. It's explosive runs. That's, that's the, that's the difference. Nick is a good running back, and I, I want to give him credit for running through contact and and finishing runs and getting the hundred, hundred percent of the available yards against Michigan. He did his job there. Um, there are some plays where Nick is not. He's doing the right thing. He's, he's following his blocking from a technical perspective, but not seeing the second level of understanding in the play of if I cut here, I'm faster and I can get explosive plays. So the confidence to, to do that also this year, the blocking is um, it's hard to say it's better. There are elements I like about it that are more consistent. I feel like they are a little more consistent this year in getting some of those four to five yard runs that are just clean running lanes for the running back, but they don't have the pure airport runway for him to just run the football 70 yards, beat an angle with speed and get a touchdown. You know, we talked about Brent strange juice Scruggs missing some key players that played with a level of consistency, maybe not the high end. I think Hunter Norzat has the ability to do some, really dynamic things in the run game with his athleticism his explosiveness and his, you know, his uh, sometimes his violence at contact, but he is not as consistent as juice Scruggs. So some of these things are not lining up properly to get Nick a blocking scheme to get him 70 yards. And with Catron, it's kind of more of the same where he is just churning out through the mud through bad run plays, making guys miss popping in and out of holes and then getting run down by a 350 pound nose tackle <laughs> instead of being able to break it for a touchdown. So it's, it's a little bit of uh Catron fits any situation and Nick is evolving into a guy that you're hoping fits any situation and then can take it to the next level 
as a junior running back, but the special part of his game has not evolved this year. And that's a hundred percent of what's going on with his yards per carry and his production this year. He's actually, I think been better as a pure running back than he was last year, but as a pure athlete, it's not translating the same way. I, I do want to ask you about one play running play that we saw in the Michigan game. And that's the play where Katron Allen had the long run. That running yep. play looked very different than most of the running plays, not just because it succeeded for over 30 yards, but it looked like a different style of run, and they were able to get Catron Allen on the outside. Am I just being that silly fan who says, oh, why aren't they getting them on the edge more often? <laughs> So the problem is I don't remember which specific run this is. So I don't know whether it's one of two blocking schemes. One of them is, uh, and I'll, I'll just describe both of them. And I don't remember which one resulted in the big play. I'm sorry. Uh, one of them was they use inside zone with a lead blocker, which changes things up front and allows uh, the blocking up front to have easier angles to the second level. Katron Allen then breaks a play, breaks a tackle and gets, um, gets into the open field. I, I think that one went for nine. There was another play where they ran a pin and pull and they got their athletes, Hunter Norzad, JB Nelson into space, but they were able to do that because um, one, they were running at a safety who was probably 190 pounds and two, Theo Johnson got the pin block. They've been trying to do that this year more often is use that pin and pull scheme, but their tight ends can't get that critical block. They fundamentally can't block the thing, the pin in the pin and pull. And in this game they did. And that's why I'm saying is, they succeeded. Their running schemes succeeded at times against Michigan, and they led to explosive plays, or they led to five, six yards on um, uh, on first down. So it wasn't all terrible. It wasn't the worst game plan you've ever seen, but it wasn't good enough because of the things we talked about earlier in the game. And that is for Catron Allen, when he gets into that situation, Michigan and the mystique of them being so great against the run, I think Penn State poked some holes in that of, Penn State ran the ball on this team. They were the more physical team on the line of scrimmage on both sides, and they still lost. That is, I think, the troubling thing and why Mike Hirsich is fired is because you controlled that game on the defensive side outside of some missed blocks and assignments, but you controlled the Michigan offensive line, and the offensive line controlled the run game, but they couldn't mount any sort of passing attack that resembled a threat in either of the big games they played this year. Okay, T. Frank, we've been looking at the past and how uh, how we ended up at this point where we're going to see a new offensive coordinator, or I should say plural, offensive mm -hmm. coordinators. Let I, I know you hate when I do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to put oh, that fun. offensive coordinator hat on you, okay? Now, yeah. you're taking over as new offensive coordinator. What are the things that you want to do with this offense? Or at the very least, what would you like to see from this group? More called passing plays, not just on first down, but more called passing plays that don't involve the op take the decision out of the quarterback's hands on the option. And I'm not just talking about the read option and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, about Drew Aller not keeping the football. I'm talking about option plays. Um, I think that they can be valuable if the quarterback is ready and willing to use them more straight called passing plays and more usage of the tight ends over the middle of the football field to disrupt zones. They need to do some more 
as James Franklin said, easy rhythm throws to get the quarterback involved. Everything was to the outside and everything was, uh, you know, down the football field for shot plays. Put some things in the offense. Just think about how many times Pat Fryermuth ran six yards, turned around and caught the football. I mean, from a basic sense, just more of that. Just more of spread it out, let the quarterback read the zones and pick his favorite player in that concept. And then from there, play off the running game a little bit better in terms of the cohesive, like I've said, the cohesiveness between the run game and the pass game. If you can blend the two and make them look the same and have play action be meaningful instead of just a fake mesh point or a fake play action or something like that, have it be a real and established part of we're, we're drawing the linebackers and the safeties down so that we can pop the ball over their head instead of we're faking the mesh point so that we can bring people in and the safeties. I, I don't, I don't even know, like getting down a rabbit hole where I don't have an end point. So some simpler things to give the quarterback confidence, and then you can fold in your option plays. And I think that's kind of the point James Franklin is making is give the quarterback something he can digest instead of throwing at him three or four options, and then a complex passing play where he needs to remember that he needs to get to the backside dig if it's a four-high defense and they play hard on a hard edge on that uh, boundary side and all of these different checklists. And it's like, just let him throw the football a couple of times. You mentioned something there in your answer about using the middle of the field. Again, as a fan just watching the games, it feels like they're not using the middle of the field. First of all, is that accurate? Second of all, mm-hmm. is it a case where Drew Aller has just chosen not to do that? He has options and chooses not to throw it there. Or is it the play calling? Just they're not calling plays to go there. It's a little of column A and a little of column B. I wrote about this earlier this year where 11% of Drew Aller's passes targeted the middle of the field plus 10 yards. So not just the explosive plays down the field, but also some of those intermediate passes of 10 yards to 15 yards. They That was a, a void in the Penn State passing attack. Against certain teams, they evolved that. Against Indiana and Maryland, who allowed them to get in the middle of the field, that happened. Against Michigan, who is showing different coverages, they didn't attack the middle of the field as much. Again, um, there are certain routes, but Penn State loves their crossing routes, and sometimes those don't work against zones. The quarterback has to anticipate and throw into the window or the second window. And Aller, when he's not confident, isn't doing those things. Um, he does them late in games when he has to, when you have Caden Saunders coming over the middle and it's open and you hit him, but it's behind <laughs> it's behind him. At that point, you have not established the confidence of the quarterback. Hashtag establish the pass. Uh, establish the pass, excuse me, not establish. And you 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 haven't given him the ability to unlock his abilities. And that's, you know, I'm kind of a broken record here. That's what I'm focused on because that's what I saw in this past game. Um, And, and that's a huge part of the using the middle of the football field in other ways than just screens. That's another thing is I feel like when they use the short middle of the field under 10 yards, it's screens and things that don't just get you five yards, six yards from a passing perspective. Think about the, the completions that JJ McCarthy made were against zone. He's throwing the football to his tight end out on the, uh, out, away from the zone coverage, beating a linebacker with the ball in a simple read. There's not a lot of simple reads here where they're attacking the underneath zones. It's either short, 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 deep, or it's run the football. Let's finish up with Drew Aller. Obviously, Mm -hmm. that's got to be disconcerting for him. 
changing offensive coordinators and quarterback coach. A lot of different voices are now going to be in his ear. What could mm-hmm. this coaching staff do specifically for him and his confidence going forward? Uh, <laughs> get an offensive coordinator that has the ability to translate the information to the quarterback in a way that he feels comfortable. And I don't, Jim, I don't know. Uh, because what is Drew Aller's responsibility in his own confidence? And this is the problem I come back to is I know he can read a defense. I know he knows the offense cold. I know he's smart enough. I've seen his eyes be good to get to all the parts of the field. So that's the thing I want to see from the next offensive coordinator is make it so he doesn't have to do full field progression reads and he can get to his first read more often. (laughs) Scheme open the first read more often. Make it a little bit easier and less predictable. Um, And then secondarily, have things in the playbook where he's able to read the defense and feel he has the confidence to get beyond that to the second progression more consistently. Very good, T. Frank. That's it. We're out of time. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.